This is episode 143 with Marathoner and the CEO of the national running organization, Black Girls Run, Miss J.L. Alexander. Welcome to the Strength Running Podcast. My name is Jason Fitzgerald, and I'm your host and the head coach of Strength Running. The goal of this podcast is to make you into a better runner. I'll be bringing you the power players in the fitness industry to help you reach more of your running goals. You're going to hear from elite runners, sports psychologists, strength experts, coaches, best-selling authors, physiotherapists, and other leaders in the running community who can help make our running dreams become a reality. Because as I like to say, knowledge is a competitive advantage. If you're new to the show, we have 142 other episodes, a video channel on YouTube, or our home base, strengthrunning.com, where you can see all of our coaching programs, detailed guides on everything from fartlek training to core workouts, to how you can master your mindset and become a more mentally tough runner. I'm also excited to continue our sponsorship with Path Projects. They're doing some new things right now. First, they have a whole new website that you can check out at pathprojects.com. And I'm really excited about their new three-inch running shorts. My other path shorts are five-inch, and they're great for strength training, casual wear, working out in the yard. But these three-inch shorts are going to be my go-tos for running. Check out all their products at pathprojects.com. Before we start... I also want to mention that I announced on social media last week that Strength Running is matching donations up to $1,000 to three important organizations that are fighting for justice and equality in the African-American community. The ACLU, which fights for civil rights, Campaign Zero, which aims to eliminate police brutality, and Fair Fight Action, a group fighting to stop voter suppression, which disproportionately impacts African-Americans. If you'd like to make a donation to any of these groups, that's money well spent, and I'll match it. Just send me a screenshot of your receipt, and I'll make it happen. Just please do so by the end of the day on Friday, June 12th. All right, my guest today is J.L. Alexander. She's the owner of the Vaughn Strategy, a public relations strategy consulting firm, and in 2018, she became the owner and CEO of the Black Girls Run organization. Black Girls Run wants to encourage African-American women to make fitness and healthy living a priority. Their goal is to create a movement to lower the disproportionately high health outcomes in the female African-American community and subsequently lower the number of women with chronic diseases associated with an unhealthy diet and sedentary lifestyle. Our discussion today focuses on the history of Black Girls Run, the health disparities African-American women experience, how we can all work together to create a more equal playing field, and how you can get involved with Black Girls Run. Without further delay, Please enjoy my conversation with Ms. J.L. Alexander. Hi, J.L. Thank you for making some time today. Thank you for having me, Jason. Well, I'm excited about this. Uh, I invited you on the podcast today to talk more about race and running, allyship, and how all of us as members of the running community can hopefully do something positive and make some waves in the pursuit of equality in the running community. So this is going to be... Uh, uh, a little bit of an uncomfortable or difficult conversation for me as the privileged white guy here. So thanks for bearing with me. Mm-hmm. And uh, I thought we could start with some news that you made in 2018. You're the founder and CEO at the Vaughn Strategy PR consulting firm. And a few years ago, your company acquired the national running organization, Black Girls Run. So maybe we can start with 
What does Black Girls Run do and, and why did you acquire them? Sure. So Black Girls Run, in a nutshell, we are a national running organization uh, with uh, chapters and cities across the country where we build a community at the local level uh, to empower and equip women to make healthy living, physical activity, a lifestyle. Um, a lot of people ask us, well, why Black Girls Run? Why not you know, all girls run? And why create that separation? But we have Black Girls Run because we have built a community to empower the Black community to become healthier. Um, if you look at the health statistics, and we'll probably dive into this with our conversation later on, if you look at the health statistics, even most recently with COVID-19, the Black community is at the top of the these charts of being most drastically impacted. And so our organization helps to bring awareness to that and helps to find solutions through running um, to make our community healthier. Um, fast backtrack a little bit in terms of my um, uh, trajectory with Black Girls Run. I came on board about uh, nine years ago, um, actually through my PR company um, and through my professional background to help them do some brand management. Um, some media relations and got introduced to the sport um, through my professional expertise and just got ingrained into BGR, our culture, our sisterhood, fell in love with the organization. Um, and then in 2017, 2018, uh, the organization kind of took a transition in terms of um, where the organization was headed. And I was presented with the opportunity uh, to buy out the company. And now here we are. Um, a little over two years later, and I'm happy to lead the organization into where, where we're headed next. I love it. Now, how many cities are you guys in right now? Uh, we have about 75 cities across the country. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, now, and how many members do you have? Is it is it a, a large group in each city? Uh, yeah, it's anywhere from maybe a couple of hundred in, you know, Twin Cities, Minnesota, to 20,000 in Atlanta. Um, so just depends on the geographic location. Um, but we have roughly uh, about 250,000 members across the country. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah. And yeah. So a lot of the things that you do are, you know, I assume in-person events where you're mm -hmm. going for runs and you're talking to people about some of the health benefits of running and why they should start running. Are, are you hoping to do more in-person in events soon? Soon. Uh, so I guess I'm kind of wondering, you know, how has the coronavirus impacted what you guys are are typically doing? Oh well, it, it's taken a tremendous impact. Uh, we are definitely in the industry of mass gatherings and bringing people together and building communities in person. Um, our our foundation is social media and building uh, digital communities before people make the step to come out um, and show up to a group run in person. Um, but like I always say, the magic happens at the local level um, where people are meeting up to actually train and run together. So COVID-19 has definitely taken an impact in terms of how we're connecting right now. Everything is virtual. Um, all of our runs across the country are suspended um, until we figure out 
how this virus is going to continue and change our way of life if it hasn't already. Um, so everything we're doing right now is virtual, pushing solo runs, pushing social distancing. So I'm hoping to get back to more in-person runs, maybe with some uh, constraints and some uh, sensitivity to how we run and how we get back together. But um, as of right now, everything is still virtual. For sure. Yeah. I think a lot of folks are finding themselves in that situation. Yeah. Uh, now, you did mention the Black Girls Run Foundation. Is mm-hmm. that separate from the Black Girls Run organization? Yes, it is. So we have two kind of um, facets of the business, if you will. Uh, the for-profit Black Girls Run has been around uh, since 2009. And this is um, kind of our major events, our national platform um, in terms of uh, pulling people together, working with races, um, putting on events and so forth. And then we have a foundation side. Um, that's the philanthropic arm where we really start to tap into and impact the community. So um, we have training programs um, where we're providing women with uh, race registrations, pairing them up with a nutritionist and a run coach, uh, providing them clothing stipends and shoe stipends, um, really, um, if you will, wraparound services um, for your average woman that just wants to start running but may not have all of the resources to do so, or someone that has been an avid runner um, and, you know, maybe just needs a race registration. You know, everyone can kind of use some assistance, use some help. Um, And the foundation wants to basically make running an even playing field for everyone, regardless um, of your demographics. Yeah. And and I was spending a lot of time on the website, learning more about what you guys do and your story and about you guys. And uh, it's not just for black girls. Is that right? Right, right. It's a, we every every walk of life. Our rule is just no men allowed. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. You know, but you know, blue, black, green, or yellow. Uh, we, you know, the black community. We're, we're very welcoming to anyone that wants to join us on the pavement. Um, we just ask that when you come out, you understand that we are bringing awareness um, in terms of the health disparities to the black community. So, it, it, as we see now, even with these social injustices of things that are going on in the community. It's going to take an all-hands-on-deck approach um, for that side of the racial injustices, but also just the health disparities and the epidemics that's impacting the Black community. Everyone's um, hand is going to have to be in the cookie jar. Yeah, I can't agree with that more. And I don't, I don't know, something about this current moment in time, I feel like there is more movement in this issue. I feel like this is, I don't know if it's a turning point or uh, it really has just captured the public in a way that, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement hasn't in the past. And, and yeah. I do hope that there is going to be some real tangible change moving forward. Uh, and, and I would like to talk a little bit more about some of those health disparities. You know, a lot of us right now are learning about systemic inequality, particularly in policing. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's very present in health outcomes for the Black community. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, like I said, I was on your website and... You know, the Black Girls Run website notes that African-American women have the highest rates of being overweight or obese compared mm-hmm. to other groups in the U.S. at about right. 80 percent. Right. And in 2015, African-Americans were 1.4 times as likely to be obese as non-Hispanic whites. Right. So 
there's obviously a lot to unpack in this, but <laughs> what, when you hear those stats, you know, what, what is your interpretation of some of the reasons why this is happening? I mean, that, that, that question is, like you said, is a lot to unpack. You know, we can look at um, different things, whether it's access to nutritional foods or, you know, even as it relates to running, um, everyone can't afford a $150 half marathon um, or $150 running shoes. Um, so just access, making, um, you know, equity, making things um, just a even playing field for everyone, no matter what side of the, you know, of the railroad tracks you look, you live on. Um, it, it's, it's a lot to unpack. Um, and I don't think there's one, um, one thing that makes a, one thing that makes a difference over another, it's going to take a wraparound approach to create some impactful change, whether you're talking about health outcomes or if you're talking about uh, racial injustices as well. Um, there, there's different, there's, uh, it's a multi-layer approach to how we kind of attack this thing. Yeah, for sure. And and I know that was a loaded question. And <laughs> <laughs> there, there, there's so many different elements of inequality that contribute to those statistics. Mm -hmm. And you know, I, I studied inequality when I was in college and, and, you know, it's just looking back on the history of our country, it's so very clear that through, uh, you know, Jim Crow laws and, uh, other, other ways of disenfranchising African-Americans that, you know, they just haven't had the same opportunities. And, and I think income and, uh, the wealth of the African-American community plays a big part in this because, you know, like you said, they don't have $150 to spend on a half marathon. I think some marathons now are like $250 or $300 and right, it's, right. it's exorbitantly expensive. And when you have this history of Jim Crow laws and redlining and all these other things, then obviously, you know, you're going to have a group that is just not as financially well off as the group that didn't have all those obstacles, historically speaking. And so, you know, for me, it's, uh, I, I think the, uh, the class inequality leads to some of these health disparities for sure, because, you know, I, when you look at some of the statistics on, you know, the richer you are, the healthier you are, you can mm -hmm. afford a personal trainer, you yeah. can afford those marathon entry fees and yeah. so many things. Uh, and that is just such a tough nut to crack. Oh yeah. Um, you, you've hit on definitely several different things that can just be unpacked individually. Um, you know, diving into income and just talking about types of jobs that are even available. Um, you know, until you get to a certain level of seniority within your job, do you really have the, even the the opportunity or the time in your day to go for a morning run or go for an evening run or you know leave work to go volunteer or work out do you even you until you reach a level of seniority with certain types of jobs you don't even really have the type of time to even um, make sure that you can run or what have you. So there, there's definitely different things. And yeah, you've tapped into quite a few, even that, that class aspect, but especially income and just the types of jobs that we are exposed to from a Black community versus a white community and having what type of access we have to it. 
Yeah. And so Black Girls Run is really trying to address things, you know, at the the health level. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as the running coach here, I think running is clearly a good way for an individual to address their own health. Oh, yeah. But I was wondering, how can we begin as members of the running community to address some of these inequalities at a more systemic level? You know, what can we do to to address some of the root causes? Uh, and instead of working with with individuals, can we help change some of the underlying rules, the underlying structure that is then contributing to this inequality? Yeah, absolutely. I think you can answer yes to all of the above. Um, One thing that, you know, in recent conversations, we have to make sure that, um, you know, those organizations and those individuals that are asking what can we do now, that you're asking for those authentic reasons um, and that you're not just hopping on a bandwagon. Um, Now that you see everyone else doing something, you feel like you're compelled to do something as well. So making sure that we're building authentic relationships, um, that we're building relationships that will create sustainable change as well. Um, You know, things that have been in place within the running world for a while, you know, and why Black Girls Run Organizations was created is because we need to start building communities where people feel welcome, where people feel comfortable, where people feel safe. Um, And that wasn't always the case um, when people come to races and there wasn't a strong Black representation. Um, So now that we as a community are realizing, finally realizing that, okay, this is is a problem. Um, Either I've been silent too long or I've been complacent too long. So trying to figure out what can I do now Um, and realizing that running is really an opportunity to start bridging the gap. Um, And so, you know, things that I can think of that people can do is just, you know, come out when we're back to running, come out to a BGR group run, um, form you all's own uh, unity runs. It doesn't have to be the minority groups that's leading these efforts um, of of, uh, organizing these community and unity runs that, um, again, it's going to be an all hands-on approach. Um, And, you know, people don't know how to lean into this right now. And it's going to take education. It's going to take awareness. It's going to take some patience um, and understanding that these solutions are not going to come overnight. Um, But it definitely is going to take everyone to really kind of help uh, steer the ship, if you will, to make sure that we get to a better place than where we are now. Right. And when you look out kind of at the running industry, the whole running community, everything that goes on from you know, big marathons, big races, expos, you know, everything that really encapsulates the entire running community. What do you think are some things that, you know, if you could wave a magic wand, what can we fix? Where can we put our energy into making some real lasting change that would be quite productive? Jason, that's a, that that's probably the hardest question that you've given me. I, <laughs> in a simple answer and the, probably the most complex answer, it's just to end racism and bigotry, period. Um, but how we're going to do that, how are we going to create, um, how are we going to change human behavior? How are we going to uh, change culture? Um that is a hard question to answer, even within the racing industry. Um, you know, when you go for, when you go in to register and you choose between male, female, and what 
you know, ethnicity you are, there's that might not be intentional um, in terms of creating a segment and being um, discriminatory, but it is. Um, and, you know, in recent years, um, with the increase of more African-American representation at races and more of this, the term of diversity inclusion, um, you know, companies are benefiting from that. Again, they are um, making a dollar from the African-American community, but the African-American community are not reaping those benefits in turn. Um, so I think we have to start diving into just the cultures of these organizations and brands and figuring out, you know, even at your board level, is it represent representative of the people that are showing up to the start line? Um, is it representative of the community that you say that you serve? Um, um, or that now you're putting out a statement to say, um, I want to do something else. We haven't done a good job, but are you changing the internal climate um, within your within your work environment, within your organizational culture? Um, so I can't, you know, even though we're a black organization and I represent a black organization and a black running voice, um, we can't be the solution either. Um, that a lot of solutions have to be very collaborative. That we can't be, uh, a, you know. We can't be creating the issue and also solving the issue. Um, and so, um, yeah, it's that that conversation has to continue like conversations like this before we really get to some solutions that will be long term. Of course. And, and, you know, you mentioned representation and I think representation is incredibly important, uh, just because, you know, I, you know, I, I kind of come at this as a father of girls and, and I see a lot of male representation in certain areas and not a lot of female representation. I, I've never experienced not having representation as a white male, uh, but I've talked to a lot of folks who are, you know, they grew up and they never saw someone that looked like them in a movie, in a right. TV show, right. in you know, uh, at the Olympics, at any major race, you know, you can kind of go down the list and talk about all these things. Can you talk a little bit about the power of representation and really what that means and, and what it can do for a community? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I hear very often, um, especially now that I have my own child, is that, you know, you are a product of your environment. Um, so what you're exposed to from a child um, up to an adult that's what you want to emulate. That's um, that kind of sets your sometimes sets your parameters of what you can achieve um, in certain circumstances. So you know, having more representation on the pavement, um, exposing children to physical activities and healthy uh, living and nutrition um, and so forth. If you expose that at an early age, um, you know that will take some of the work off of black girls run if you will we meet we our demographic we're meeting women uh later on in their life where we're very reactive you know they're trying to lose weight they're trying to get off blood pressure medication um or you know we're just we're a little bit behind the curve when we could have avoided um, where we are now, if we had those conversations, if we exposed uh, children to uh, these representations 
on the pavement, on the TV, in the movie theaters, um, not of what your cookie cutter runner looks like, but showing that runners of, of, are of all shapes and sizes, hues, different walks of life. Um, and that will help us kind of change the curve as well if we start changing the exposure and increasing the representation on all different platforms, running included. I think the aspect of this whole idea of exposure is really important because I know that, you know, from, from a running perspective, I would never be the runner that I, I became if I wasn't exposed to other good runners. Mm. And I never would have done some of the things that I've done if I wasn't around other people who are doing similar things. Yeah. And for, for me, it just makes very intuitive sense that if you don't see people who look like you that go running, if you don't see people who look like you doing, you know, anything that you may want to do, you may start to think that this isn't possible, or I can't do this, or you don't see yourself in that role. And, and, and that strikes to me as just so incredibly sad, because we're, we're not optimizing our potential as, as, as a country, as a people. And, and, and that strikes me as just so uh, almost like a waste of talent. And, and I wish that there was more representation so that we could maximize human talent so that we could get more people involved in everything from, you know, marathons to obstacle course races. To, and then outside of running, you know, there's so many things outside of running. We'll try to talk a little bit, you know, keep <laughs> us focused on running a little bit. Uh, and, and I just think that's so important. Um, and, you know, one of the things that I did want to talk about is, is that I, I know there's a lot of people who recognize these inequalities, they recognize some of these disparities, they know that they're unjust, but they don't really know what to do to address them. And I, I am just so on board with the fact that, you know, we can't offload these problems to uh, black organizations. We can't right. just put the onus on Black Girls Run for solving inequality in the running community. I mean, right. that's just completely unfair and ridiculous. Um, but you know, I wonder what what can what can we do to become better allies? Those of us who who aren't African American, like a guy like me, you know, specific to runners as well. What can we do to help promote equality in the running community? Well, you know, Jason, you know, just as if you had sent the email to me to say, hey, I want to talk. Um, I think that's where it starts. Um, you recognize that, you know, you are definitely in a place of privilege, but you understand you have you have a responsibility at this point. Um, you have a platform at this point that you need to use to uplift this voice and uplift other voices that may not have had those opportunities. So I think, you know, you have definitely helped to take that first step and you, through your platform, you're able to, you know, yield that responsibility and share that responsibility with other non-Black runners as well, that we can all kind of come to the table, shake hands across the table and figure out solutions um, together. Um, and I, th I think that's absolutely where it starts. Um, you know, just those low level hanging opportunities that is just, just, just show up just be present, just, uh, you know, take the ownership that, okay, we've done something wrong in the past, we need to fix something. And now we need to figure out what's next. But also in that same breath, it's okay to say, I don't know. 
Um, it's okay to not have the solutions tomorrow. Um, you know, you don't have to go off and create this diversity and inclusion coalition and everyone takes cultural uh, sensitivity training. Like that's not going to fix this. <laughs> um, so it's okay to say, I don't know, and take small steps to kind of continue as we kind of uh, gain some momentum to create change. Um, and I think that that's, that's definitely going to be very important. Yeah, thanks for saying that. And, you know, I, I do want to talk a little bit about privilege as well, uh, because I think I, I honestly think it's very hard for some people to recognize their privilege, um, maybe because it's invisible, maybe because they don't feel like they've gained from it or uh, or even that it is a privilege in our society right now. Um, why do you think it's so hard for, for people to recognize their privilege, whether that's socioeconomic privilege, whether that's racial privilege, no matter what it is? I mean, I, I feel like this is a big part of it because it's it's coming to grips with reality and it's coming to grips with some of the history and some of the structural and systemic problems in our society that elevate some folks over others. And like you were saying, a big part of this is just having conversations, just having mm -hmm. real honest conversations right. where, you know, uh, I'm obviously out of my comfort zone right now. I'm not talking about tempo runs and things like that. <laughs> um, but, but I think it is just critical that we recognize that some of us are privileged. And, and I just wonder how can we better do that? Why is it so difficult? Well, I mean, I think you kind of hit it on the nose. We have to recognize that everyone has some type of privilege, um, some more than others, whether it's something that you're born into and that's you, you, that that's just what you're born into or what you have. Or some people, it's just circumstances. Um, being a runner and registering for a $150 race, going to purchase, you know, three pairs of running shoes, just to train for one race. That is a privilege. Um, and I think, you know, I don't think there's any right or wrong to it, but I think we how to make it right and not to create um, not to create a space or create uh, segments between people um, or make one person feel inferior to the other is how can I use my privilege or how can I use these resources and what I have access to, whether it's financial or whether it's networking or whether it's connections, whatever you have a privilege in, how can I use that to pull someone else up? How can I use that to help better another community that may not have the same resources that I have. So I think just that commonality of what do I have that someone else doesn't have that I can help empower them, can help bridge the gap racially, it can help bridge the gap social economically. Um, and that's in a running industry, but just at, as our world as a whole, um, not using it as an opportunity to say, hey, I got a leg up on you, um, but using it to see, hey, how can I turn around and help be my brother or sister's keeper? Yeah, that's a good point. And, and I think asking yourself the question, you know, what can I do to help with what I have mm -hmm. is, a, is a maybe an effective way of recognizing your privilege and then using it for good. Right, um, right. Because I think maybe, you know, all of us have some sort of privilege somewhere, um, you know, over someone else. But, yeah. you know, that 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 always means that, you know, privilege essentially means power, doesn't it? And I think uh, if you have some power, whether it's with a podcast or with 
that's you know your network or uh, maybe you have a high income, you can deploy that power, those assets, that privilege to to do something positive in the world. And uh, I think that's that's maybe a, a helpful question to ask ourselves. Absolutely, I, I totally I totally agree with you. Um, you know, kind of leveraging what you had stated earlier in terms of like exposure and representation. Um, you know. Th- most recently conversations within my household and organization um, and organization as a whole, um, we've talked a lot about, well, you know, what can we do or, um, you know, to help bridge the gap or how can I better my community so my son doesn't have to go through this um, in another few years or what have you. Um, And so it's, it's, you know, that means, you know, surrounding him with, you know, resources and being exposed to things that uh, will make his world a better place. Um, Or, you know, as BGR, how can we amplify our voice so people are more aware of what we do in the community um, to help empower more women to want to run or breaking down that stereotype that, oh, to be a runner, you have to look like this or you have to run this certain pace or what have you. Um, And, you know, even for myself, um, you know, we've had some protests, um, like many communities across the country here recently um, in Richmond, Virginia. And we kind of drove around, my husband and I, and I was like, did this give you an eerie feeling just, you know, to see businesses boarded up and so forth? And he made the comment to me, um, he was like, this is how I feel every time I walk out the front door. And that was the first time, you know, in our 11 years of being together that we had had a conversation of how he feels as a black man in society. Um, and now I have that responsibility on me as a black mother that now I have to share those sentiments raising a black son um, or, you know, just me as a mother and as a black woman. Um, you know, I have certain, I have certain privileges as well. And so how do I amplify my voice, um, where people may not see, um, you know, me running while I was pregnant or, um, you know, me as a young black woman, that's, you know, a business owner, how do I use those opportunities that I've been afforded to help, um, increase the representation in the field to increase the representation of, you know, more black women that are running while they're pregnant or more black women being healthy, period. Um, so we we all have an ownership to leave this world a better place than we came in. And I think the simple stuff is to look to look at what we have just right around us, right within our household to see how we can use that. Like you said, use our power, um, not using power in a negative tone, but use our power to, to make it be, to be good for everyone. Yeah. And you mentioned ownership. And, and I think that is a great way to think about this. Like we all have ownership over a problem in our country, this problem of racism, this problem of systemic inequality. And I think we should all take some ownership of that and and use our power to uh, positively address it. Now, you did mention uh, Black Girls Run again, the organization. And I wanted to ask you, you know, what is next for you guys? What are you what are you <laughs> thinking about doing in, you know, maybe the next six months, but but the next one, two, three years? 
Good question. Um, but right now, to be totally transparent with you, I think we're, you we're, 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 I think right now, like many organizations, we're kind of taking it week by week, um, obviously, because of the, the situation we're in, you know, globally uh, with this pandemic that just has kind of rocked our worlds and shifted everything. So trying to adjust. Um, but long term, um, you know, we are creating a foundation where we really do want to be um, a resource, a viable resource for people to reach out to, to really start and continue their health and fitness journey with whatever services that they need. Um, so whether it's offering scholarships for people to sign up for races or people saying, hey, I want to sign up for a half marathon, but I don't know where to start. We want people to to be able to reach out to BGR and see and say, how, how can we help you on that journey? Um, and continue to kind of build women up to become healthier. So that's a very huge vision. Um, and we'll, you know, continue to put things in place, but we're, you know, starting to apply for grants, um, where people can understand, um, you know, black women are very different in terms of how we approach and how we connect, uh, with health and fitness and needing that sisterhood and needing that connection where it may be different for our counterparts. So um, we want to be able to be a voice in that space um, and be a resource and really build up an organization that um, we're really creating change and, and, and changing those numbers and statistics around. I love it. I love it. And I think, uh, uh, I, actually, I wanted to ask you, are you in every state in the United States? No, we're in right at about 32 states. 32 states. Okay. Yeah. Are you in Colorado? Not in Colorado. Not in Colorado. Oh we my used goodness. to have, I'm yeah, here we, in, used to, <laughs> we used to have a Denver, Denver crew. Yeah, we used to have a Denver crew. Um, but just, you know, you, the, the population there is not strongly representative um, of the African-American community. But we used to have a strong group there, but it, it kind of ebbed and flowed over the years. Um, and it really takes strong leadership at the local level to make sure that the, the group sustains. So hopefully maybe bring it back if one of your listeners are um, interested. Um, but it's been um, our Denver group has been um, suspended probably for a couple of years now. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, that's good to know. And and hopefully one of our, our Colorado listeners may take up the mantle and yes, hopefully yes. reignite <laughs> the Denver chapter. Or yes, some call Colorado to action, chapter. for sure. <laughs> well, JL, I, I know that we weren't able to really talk about these issues in the depth that they deserve. And there's so much more to talk about, but is there anything else that you'd like to add? Did I miss anything glaring that, that you really wanted to talk about today? No, I mean, the, I appreciate these opportunities um, now more than ever to, you know, lend my voice and showcase um, Black Girls Run to a community that may not have known about us at first. And I think that's where it's going to start is just education and being aware of where we are um, and then figuring out some solutions and call to actions for people to not just talk, but then just show up and also put some action behind it as well. So, um, um, yeah, this is the beginning, I hope, of um, conversations to come and things to come in the future and happy to start the relationship and the conversation here. 
Well, I think you guys have just created an incredible resource for women runners who are interested in getting healthier, in starting to run, and and really going down that journey of of becoming a, a distance runner. So uh, I love it. You know, the running coach in me is just like, yes, more people running is always <laughs> a good thing. Let's do it. Uh, thank you so much for being here, lending your expertise and your time. Where can we learn more about you, your work, and also Black Girls Run? Absolutely. So Black Girls Run, um, you can head to blackgirlsrun.com. Um, all of our locations are listed there and you can find hopefully a city that's close to you. Um, follow us on all social media fronts. Um, hopefully when things return back to normal, uh, you know, join us at an event. Don't feel intimidated. Don't feel like you're not at welcome, but join us on the pavement. Join us at our events. Um, and then you can also follow me on all social media fronts um, at JL. Alexander and would love to um, start conversations and continue conversations like this. Thanks, JL. I think everything starts with some of those conversations and and I'm glad we were able to have this one today. So thank you again for being here. Absolutely. Thank you. Hi again, Jason here one more time before you pause me. Thank you for listening to the podcast today. And I want to encourage any of our women listening who live in Colorado, if you're interested in starting up a Colorado chapter of Black Girls Run, just go to blackgirlsrun.com to get started. If we all work together, we certainly can make a difference. Finally, Path Projects is continuing their support of the podcast, and I couldn't be happier to support them in turn. They've launched a bunch of new products over the last few weeks, including the Sykes 5-inch shorts and the Wildcat 3-inch shorts. Personally, I'm looking forward to wearing the shorter shorts. Anybody who knows me knows that I love short shorts when I run. The shorter, the better. And Path is making that happen. But their shorts also have a fabric that I honestly have a hard time describing. The fibers that they use are, are breathable, light, they're water repellent, but they're also incredibly strong. It's somewhat of an odd combination to have something so light and strong because you can tell how strong the fabric is. I'm loving it, and the fact that their products are affordable, they're very durable, and incredibly comfortable. So even their t-shirts, which I now have two, have become some of my favorites. Learn more about them and see their new lineup of shorts at pathprojects.com. Thank you for listening. I appreciate you being here, and please stay healthy, stay safe, and run strong.